Hare Krishna, Vanchakalpa Trubhyascha, Kripa Sindhu Bhyebacha, Patitanam Bhavanebhyo, Vaishnavebhyo Namo Namaha. So we're continuing with our study of Srimad Bhagavatam, uh, starting over again, Canto 1, Chapter 1. We're up to text number 4 now. Before I go any further, let me do this. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya This chapter is questions by the sages of the sages at Naimisharanya. Um, uh, what this chapter, we've already done the first three introductory texts, which Prabhupada calls the prelude to Srimad Bhagavatam. Because the action doesn't really start until text four, which we'll get to. Text four describes the sages that assembled at Namisharanya to perform a great sacrifice. So now you're at a time and a place and uh, then text 5 describes the sages elevating uh, Sri uh, Sutta Goswami to the seat of honor, to the Vyasasana. Then from uh, text 6 through 8, the sages will extol Sutta Goswami's uh, exceptional qualifications for that position they put him in. And then from 9 to the end of the chapter, 9 to 23, there are going to be the questions submitted by the sages to Sutta Goswami. So that's a little list of what's in the chapter. So the three introductory texts of this Prabhupada calls the prelude to Srimad Bhagavatam. The first one establishing that Krishna is the absolute truth. Uh, the cause of all causes, uh, who transcends the world and yet includes it. Um, then the next text uh, then talks about the Bhagavatam because, uh, well, it goes like this, completely rejecting all religious activities which are materially motivated, dharma, projita, kaitava, kaitava dharma, uh, which are materially motivated, this Bhagavat Purana propounds the highest truth. And then it says it can be understood by those who are satam, nirmat saranam satam, completely pure in heart. So if you want to understand the Bhagavatam, there's certain requirements <laughs> uh, for the readers or the hearers. Uh, and this, and this is, propounds this highest truth, which uh, distinguishable from illusion for the welfare of all, of all. It uproots the threefold miseries. So if you're suffering <laughs> from the caused by your own body and mind, other living entities and the devas, this is the, this is the remedy, or by the president of the United States, or by the coronavirus or whatever, you know. This is it. This will uproot the miseries. 
And then it says this is the mature work of Mahamuni, the great sage. Uh, his, uh, and it's the, uh, what is the need for any other scripture? As soon as one attentively and submissively hears the message of Bhagavatam, by this culture of knowledge, the Supreme Lord is established within his heart. That's a lot to claim right there. Huh? And then when we get to text three, the, that's a shorter text it's describing uh, this uh, saying those people who are expert and thoughtful, they relish Srimad Bhagavatam, which is now described as the mature fruit of the desire tree of Vedic literatures, emanated from the lips of Sri Shukadev Goswami. And therefore, because of that, uh, the fruit has become even more tasteful, even though its nectarian juices were already relishable for all, including liberated souls. So now we come to text four, where we describe the sages assembled at Naimisharanya to perform a great sacrifice. So now we're at this time and place and everything. Four goes like this. Naimishe dimisha shetre vishaya shonakadayaha satram swargaya lokaya sahasra samam asata once in a holy place in the forest of Naimisharanya, great sages headed by the sage Shaunaka assembled to perform a great thousand-year sacrifice for the satisfaction of the Lord and his devotees. So this uh, Naimisha, uh, the word is Naimisha, but it's in the locative case where the location, so the forest known as Naimisharanya. Uh, and then uh, uh, Animishe Shetre, the spot which is especially a favorite of Vishnu. Uh, this Animisha, uh, we'll talk about that word a little later, but it, who does not close his eyelids unblinking. <laughs> Here is used as a designation of, of, of Lord Vishnu, but actually all the none of the devas blink their eyes, as it turns out. Uh, so then these sages, the Rishaya, uh, Shonaka Adaya, they say headed by the sage Shonaka, Shonaka and its others, you know, Adaya, the sages, Shonaka Adaya, uh, performed, uh, gathered for a, a satra. A, a satram is a sacrifice. Uh, it's actually, uh, the dictionary says the real word is satra, S-A-T-T-R-A, satra. And this is a kind of local variation of satra. It says incorrect for satra. <laughs> the word satra, means session, a great Soma sacrifice. 
especially with this word satra was used for the soma yajna, which was a great sacrifice. So this is putting this on the level of a soma yajna. The, the dictionary says, lasting, according to some, from 13 to 100 days and performed by many officiating brahmanas. And then also applied to any oblation or meritorious work equivalent to the performance of a sattra. So when it's using this word sattra, that means it's a big deal. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this, these big sacrifices at one time, that was the Yuga Dharma. Now the sacrifice turns out to be hearing and chanting. But, but this is, uh, it's like this. Uh, uh, and this is for uh, uh, loka. Now, loka sometimes just means people. But here uh, it says the devotees who are always in touch with the Lord. The sacrifice is uh, swargaya, the Lord who is glorified in heaven. So this is for, for swarga, swargaya and for the devotees who are always in touch with the Lord. So this is the sacrifices for both the Lord who's in Swarga and for the, everybody else who was in touch with the Lord. It's just, this is in the word for word. It's not for the satisfaction of the Lord and his devotees. Swargaya, Lokaya. So the Loka, the, which just means basically in people, but those who are gathered for the sacrifice. And it is to perform Sahasra Sama, 1,000 year long sacrifice. Remember, this is right at the cusp of Kali Yuga is about to begin. So these kind of things are done. And, uh, and the Sahasra Samam, uh, the dictionary has it down as a Sahasra Sahasrasama, Sahasrasama, and the deaf definition is lasting a thousand years as a sacred rite, and it mentions the Bhagavad Purana as the source for this, this idea. And this Animisha Shetre, the spot which is especially a favorite of Vishnu who does not close his eyes. So Animisha. Nimisha is uh, blinking the eyes. They, here in the dictionary it says winking, but it's not a wink, it's a, more of a blink. Uh, not winking, looking steadily. So generally that refers to a deva. So here, but here it designates especially Vishnu, who does not close his eyelids. So we know about that actually this is a, the characteristic of the devas is they have unblinking eyes. And uh, there's a famous uh, drama of Nala and Damayanti. It's Prabhupada calls it a mundane love story. <laughs> but, so Nala and Damayanti, Damayanti is, is the heroine, and Nala is a prince who wanted to marry her, and she was very dedicated to Nala. But she was so beautiful, 
She was such a luscious babe, as we would say today. She was so great that the Devas wanted to marry her too. I mean, there's a famous story in India, the Nali and Damayanti story. It's a love story. So when there came the time because she was a princess, uh, there was a Swayamvara where she would pick her, you know, she could choose her mate. And also, that's where the, the princess would sometimes compete to, to carry off the bride and everything. Uh, so, so when she, when Nala and Damiante were, so among them there was Nala among all the princes, but the the others were gods. So what the gods did, the devas who wanted to also marry her, uh, made themselves look exactly like Nala. They were all identical, right? And so the, the, the and, and this, is, this is to explain, uh, the story is used to explain the power of chastity. Chastity means here, not just not having sex or being, but, but being focused on chaste, devoted to one person. She was focused on, on Nala. Uh, and, and so the force of her desire, she sees all these devas, and she's looking at all of them. And one of them's Nala and the others are fake. But the force of her devotion to Nala was such that the, the devas couldn't maintain their disguises. And all of a sudden, you could see that their eyes were unblinking and their feet, because the devas also, their feet don't quite touch the ground. They lifted off the ground a little bit. And the other, the other characteristic of a deva, if you want to find a deva, their eyes don't blink, their feet don't touch the ground, and their garlands don't wither. <laughs> so, so the devas all like rose up and they're unblinking. So she could see who Nala was. <laughs> because, so that's where the unblinking eyes are, are kind of uh, uh, famous. So it's not just Vishnu, but here it refers to Vishnu. Uh, 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 he's 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 the one. So uh, this is uh, so that so they're explaining the name of this place, uh, Nimisha Shetra, the the place the spot which is especially a favorite of Vishnu. So this is and also. Uh, it, it, uh, somewhere else in the Bhagavatam is explained that that space that space was such that any sacrifice that was performed there would, would the benefit would be distributed to the people in general. Uh, so they wanted to do that there because they're thinking Kali Yuga's begun. Let's do something to help everybody out, and so they decided uh, this is what. What sacrifice would they perform? Well, the sacrifice turned out to be uh, uh, the sacrifice of uh, Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, and um, especially the, the, the Bhagavatam. So I want to read Shralap Prabhupada's purport about this here. He says, 
The prelude of the Srimad Bhagavatam was spoken in the previous three shlokas. That's where I get the, the idea. This is the prelude. So now the main topic of this great literature is being presented. Srimad Bhagavatam, after its first recitation by Srila Shukadeva Goswami, was repeated for the second time at Naimisharanya. So we'll later on. Uh, they'll talk about the first recitation. So this is the second. The first was kind of private, and the second one is broadcast. And the uh, Vayavya Tantra, it is said that Brahma, the engineer of this particular universe, contemplated a great wheel which could enclose the universe. The hub of this place of this great circle was fixed at the particular place known as Naimisharanya. Uh, similarly, there is another reference to the forest of Naimisharanya in the Varaha Purana, where it is stated that by the by, that by performance of sacrifice at this place, the strength of demoniac people is curtailed. Thus, Brahmanas prefer Naimisharanya for such sacrificial performances. Uh, oh, by the way, there's a little different translation of this uh, by, by Banuswami, who, remember, who's following the commentary of Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur. His translation, at the place called Naimisharanya, the place of Vishnu, here mean, he put it, the place of Vishnu, meaning that's who's referred to by this not blinking eyes. Uh, the sages headed by Shonaka applied themselves to a sacrifice uh, lasting, for, lasting a thousand years for attaining... Uh, the planet of the Supreme Lord, Swargaya Lokaya, or for going to the heavenly planets, the two ways to, to, to read this. Uh, so that's a slightly different, well, anyway, we'll look at that commentary also. Uh, so Prabhupada goes on. The devotees of Lord Vishnu offer all kinds of sacrifices for his pleasure. The devotees are always attached to the service of the Lord, whereas fallen souls are attached to the pleasures of material existence. In the Bhagavad Gita, it is said that anything performed in the material world for any reason other than the, for the pleasure of Lord Vishnu causes further bondage for the performer. Uh, in other words, when you perform your activities for the satisfaction of Vishnu, there's no karma. It's devotional service. And anything you do in support of that. So it is enjoined, therefore, that all acts must be performed sacrificially for the satisfaction of Vishnu and his devotees. 
to satisfy those people who are satisfying Vishnu as another way of satisfying Vishnu. This will bring everyone peace and prosperity. So devotional service really means that there's a way to take every, almost every activity that's done mundanely to do it in order to satisfy the Lord. So the, the yajna that, that we perform is everything. You can sanctify everything. Because, for example, the most immediate act of sense gratification to keep yourself alive is to eat. Uh, and I once said to somebody, uh, a, a Christian, that uh, everything that we do is for Krishna. And he said to me, how do you eat? <laughs> and, and so he didn't know about prasadam, that you prepare food and you offer it to the Lord and then you can take the remnants of that. So that kind of like, you take the most basic biological activity like eating and you do it in such a way for the satisfaction of Vishnu and then you, there's no karma attached. Now this is, uh, otherwise, you know, there's, that's Karmakanda religion, this is for God and this is for me. You know? Because the, the guy I was talking to was a rabbi, and he said, he said to me, uh, uh, he, he's, he's, he, he's saying to me that, do you observe the Sabbath? And I said to him, well, for us, every day is the Sabbath. And that's when he said, how do you eat? <laughs> because this is for God and this is for me, you know. Um, anyway. So this is peace and prosperity. Do everything. All acts must be performed sacrificially for the satisfaction of Vishnu and his devotees. He goes on, The great sages are always anxious to do good to the people in general. And as such, the sages headed by Shonaka and others assembled at this holy place of Naimisharanya with a program for performing a great and continuous chain of sacrificial ceremonies. So that was their idea. Forgetful men do not know the right path for peace and prosperity. However, the sages know it well, and therefore, for the good of all men, they are always anxious to perform acts which may bring about peace in the world. They are sincere friends to all living entities. And at the risk of great personal inconvenience, they are always engaged in the service of the Lord for the good of all people. You think of Prabhupada's sacrifice of just trying to translate the Bhagavatam into English and, uh, you know, is there a, almost a continuation of this, huh? Lord Vishnu is just like a great tree, and all others, including the demigods, men, 
Siddhas, charnas, vidyadaras, and other living entities are like branches and twigs and leaves of that great tree, of that tree. By pouring water on the root of the tree, all the parts of the tree are automatically nourished. Only those branches and leaves which are detached cannot be so satisfied. Detached branches and leaves dry up gradually despite all watering attempts. Similarly, human society, when it is detached from the personality of Godhead, like detached branches and leaves, is not capable of being watered, and one attempting to do so is simply wasting his energy and resources. So this is a common example that's always worth keeping in mind. Prabhupada describes Krishna consciousness as pouring water or on the root of the tree or giving food to the stomach. And I pick up the food with my hand. My hand is instrumental. And it gives the food to the stomach. The stomach is the enjoyer. And the hand is nourished. Now, if the hand picks up the food and says, why should I give all this food to the stomach? It just sits there, doesn't do anything, and I have to work so hard. I'm just going to eat it myself. And you go like, you know, this, trying to chew it up. Will it work? So similarly, all our efforts for happiness, which don't take this route of satisfying Vishnu, is like this, you know, that either, either you know, the hand trying to eat by itself or the branches of a metaphor of a tree being cut off or detached or broken. Uh, this is what happens. So Prabhupada says, the modern materialistic society is detached from its relationship to the Supreme Lord. And all its plans, which are being made by atheistic leaders, are sure to be baffled at every step. Yet they do not wake up to this. You know, and they're trying to do a lot of times is trying to get the welfare of everybody. You know, the, the idea of communism is, is that, that everybody will be happy and satisfied and so on. But it doesn't work. In this age, the congregational chanting of the holy name of the Lord is the prescribed method for waking up. <laughs> they do not wake up to this. This is how you wake up. The ways and means are most scientifically presented by Lord Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and the intelligent person may take advantage of his teachings in order to bring about real peace and prosperity. Srimad Bhagavatam is also presented for the same purpose, and this will explained, be explained more specifically later in the text. So Prabhupada, right from the very beginning, announces this is a science. He used that term, science of self-realization, which really put people off a bit, you know, when you use this word science. Uh, but it's first of all, you know, it, it's in the, in, the, in the Bhagavad Gita, Prabhupada uses this word, vijnana. Jnana means knowledge, but when it's applied, it's vijnana. 
V is in a kind of all-purpose intensif intensifier. It means you experience it for yourself. A claim is made. Here's what you can do to see for yourself. If you want to see God, okay, here's the method. You know, you have to follow this method. You don't follow the method, then you won't be able to see him. But we have the capacity for this perception. And, and uh, all you have to do is do it. Now, the thing is that, that what you find out about our, our four regular principles, these are principles of knowledge. You don't want to follow the principles of knowledge. Like, it won't work. If, if you want to see for yourself that something is true, you know, maybe you have to spend you know, something in mathematics, you know, a couple of uh, maybe a few dozen years in a university to do the job, to learn the science and take it forward, to study how to do it. Uh, I mean, even the material world is so complicated that if you want to study just one little part of it, one little bit of it, it can take you. You know, I, I have known people that spend their whole lives just studying ants because they're far out. Or spiders. Really. And they've just beginning to understand what's going on. <laughs> it's very, very, you know. But this is the way to actually come to the heart of the matter and actually understand um, everything you need to know. I mean, for our task, it doesn't mean a lot of our knowledge is about plundering the earth and defeating other people, and that's ultimately destructive. But our knowledge will actually show you how to take care of everything, including the ants, by the way. <laughs> they have their place, too. Anyway, that's Prabhupada's purport here. And, and so this, this, this is the handbook. Uh, Prabhupada uses the example, any, any time uh, there, there's some, some, kind, some kind of thing to be learned, any, anything, any new invention comes out, there's some, you get a machine, you know, you get, get a washing machine, there's a thing that tells you how to use it. You get a computer, there's something that tells you how to use it. There's an instruction manual. So the instruction manual for human life, the Vedas. When the universe is created, the human race is created, the Vedas is there, okay, this is what you do. That's, what, that's, that's the authorized instruction manual. And you don't have that manual and you're walking around trying to figure out what to do. You really screw things up. So, here's another commentary. This is Vishnu Chakrabarti Thakur's commentary. He says, Offering my respects to my Guru and to the ocean of mercy Krishna, I take shelter of Sri Shuka, the eye of the universe. <laughs> it's very interesting. He calls him the eye of the universe and the master of the world. My eyes are covered by ignorance. But Sridhar Swami, who wrote the Bhavartha Deepika, being merciful to me in producing this commentary is my means of 
success. Sridhar Swami made the, his first commentary on the Bhagavatam, and it's called Bhavartha Deepika. This commentary belonging to the Lord is called giving bliss to the heart of the devotees. Called, that's the name of the, I don't know what it is, I wish they put the Sanskrit, giving bliss to the heart of the devotees has arisen by the mercy of the Acharyas and my Guru. Facing the listeners, the speaker invokes auspiciousness at the beginning of the reciting of Bhagavatam by uttering Om. It is said, and then as Sanskrit, Om Karas Chata Shabdas Cha Dwavetau Brahmana Pura Kantam Bitva Vijir Venirjatau Tena Mangali Kav Ubao. In ancient times, the, word, the words Om and Atta, as Atato Brahma Gignasa, the beginning of the Vedanta Sutra, the word, words Om and Atta were uttered by Brahma. Thus, both words produce auspiciousness. He quotes this uh, thing. I, I won't read the other Sanskrit passages, just to save time. By Om, the speaker indicates that Bhagavatam is an expansion of the meaning of Om. Brahma created a wheel in his mind. Now here's this other idea of what this, Prabhupada mentions Brahma made a wheel. Brahma created a wheel in his mind. The rim of a wheel is called Nemi. That place where the rim, Nemi, fell off Shriyate is called Naimisha or Naimisha. And then he quotes the Vayu Purana, long quotation. Uh, the translation, this mental wheel created by me will be released. The place where the rim comes off will be favorable for the performance of austerities. So this is where this idea of the, the rim of the wheel, that Brahma made a place. Uh, having said this and having created the wheel, brilliant like the sun in his mind, and offering his respect to, respects to it, Brahma released that great deity, the wheel. The rejoicing Brahmanas, offering respects to the Lord of the universe, then journeyed to the place where the rim of the wheel fell off. That forest became known as Naimisha and is worshipped by the sages. So that's the other story, alluded to by Prabhupada, but not described. Various devotees have personal desires to fulfill through various types of bhakti. All the desires of all these people upon which their minds, free from distraction, have become fixed, can be fulfilled by immersion in the topics of Bhagavatam. The Bhagavatam has been arranged to bring out this point clearly at the very beginning with the description of the sages at Namisharanya, 
Remember, they have a whole lot of questions to ask. Naimi Shah, that's with a with a with a, a Q, S, S with an acute accent, can be spelled Naimi Shah with the retroflex with the tongue, and Naimi Shah with the S with the dot under it. Naimi Shah can also be spelled Naimi Shah. The meaning of Naimi Shah with a cerebral S, that's called cerebral, and the tongue is the root of the mouth, retroflexed, is found in the Varaha Purana. The Lord spoke to the sage Goramukha, and this is what he said. Having done that, the Lord then spoke to Goramukha. The powerful demon was killed in that forest, Aranya, quickly in a moment, Nimisha. This is the Nimisha. Thus, this place is called Nimisha Ranya. It will be suitable for Brahmanas in the future. So here's another old story from the Varaha Purana. By using this word with this meaning, it is suggested that one should reside in this place for quickly killing the enemies, such as material desire. That's the enemy. In the beginning, Shonaka and the other sages were attached to Sakama Karma, Thus, the verse indicates they perform sacrifice for attaining swarga. It is well known, however, that by hearing and contemplating various Puranas and other scriptures from Romaharshana, they became inquisitive about spiritual life. By associating with Sutta Goswami, Ugravash. Ugrashvava, his other name, they developed a small taste for bhakti. Showing their inquisitiveness, so this is talking about the big audience that's there. Showing their inquisitiveness, it is said, and now he quotes from Bhagavatam 118.12, Karman Yasmin Nanashvase. Duma Dumra Manambavan Apayayati Govinda Pada Padma Savamadu. Because you can see they're performing these sacrifices, you'll see from this, uh, to alleviate, but they're not happy. And then finally they decide, okay, we're going to, we want to hear Bhagavatam. Uh, this will be in this. Uh, this uh, first uh, uh, part of the Bhagavatam, first chapter. You let us, uh, blackened by the smoke at this uncertain sacrifice, they complain, yeah, because when you have this sacrifice, there's smoke and then your bodies get all sooty. You let us, blackened by the smoke at this uncertain sacrifice, drink the intoxicating lecture of the lotus feet of Govinda. So they're thanking him. So now this is better than what we were doing before. So they took up. So they're saying their original motive of many of them was swarga, but now they got converted. When they took up bhakti, then their inquisitiveness became weakened and performance of sacrifice for attaining swarga, that means the heavenly planets where the 
devas live, became false. That is indicated by the following. And now he quotes another verse, Bhagavatam 1.1.21, this chapter. Knowing well that the age of Kali has already begun, we are assembled here in this holy place to hear at great length the transcendental message of the Lord and in this way perform a sacrifice for the Lord. Kalim agatam ajnaya shetrismin vaishnavevayam asina dirgasatrena katayam sakshanahari. So that'll be later in this chapter. First verse, the second verse, the latter verse was 18th chapter of this uh, canto. The power of bhakti is indicated by the cessation of attachment to prescribed duties which arose in them from hearing Bhagavatam. So remember, prescribed these are these are like Karmakanda Brahmanas, you know, they're pious, they're following scripture. But piety is not enough. That just gives you swarga. People want to go to heaven, enjoy there for a while. After your good times, after your, after your pious credit runs out, you come back down again. Prabhupada said, like unintelligent children on a merry-go-round. <laughs> you just go up and down, up and down, up and down. So when you to really get out of the material world, therefore you need bhakti transcendence, you know. The power of bhakti is also indicated by the appearance of complete disinterest, or that is uninterested, in impersonal liberation within Shukadev. So he's not even interested in that. And now, he quotes again from Bhagavatam 2.19 uh, about Shukadev. Uh, Parinishtit uh, O saintly king, I was certainly situated perfectly in transcendence, yet I was still attracted by the delineations of the pastimes of the Lord, which is described by enlightened verses. This is an important verse because it shows even somebody who's liberated and hears about Krishna is attracted. They're not attracted to anything material. And yet this was more attractive, which is cited as the evidence that what uh, what about Krishna is transcendent. Then he goes on. There's another meaning to swarga, however. Swarga means glorified, gīyate, and with a equals ga, in swarga, swargaya, who is praised in swarga, like the name urugaya, who is greatly praised, indicate the Lord. I know a devotee named urugaya. His loka is vaikuntha. Therefore, swargaya lokaya means for going to Vaikuntha of the Lord. And that's when he says here, Animisha, not blinking, in this verse refers to Vishnu, because it could refer to any demigod. The sense is one thing, the reference is another, you know. 
Animisha, not blinking, in this verse refers to Vishnu. That's why it's translated that way. Because in Bhagavatam 1.1.21 quoted above, the sages themselves identify the places Shetresmin Vaishnave, a place of Vishnu. So that's when Vishnu is mentioned, Vaishnave. They applied themselves, asata, to performing karma, pious prescribed actions, satram, which will to last a thousand years, samaha. Or the sentence can mean, uh, they performed asata, a sacrifice of killing animals such as agnishtoma, generally performed for going to Swarga. This use of the verb is similar to expressions such as he performed uh, near, then he, this is, gets into some complicated uh, stuff. Uh, uh, to, to explain why this actually is referring to Vishnu. Uh, and the Yeah, the rest of this is a little beyond me because (laughs) you're supposed to be familiar with many other things about about sacrifices, about various rituals and the dark moon or so on. Anyway, uh, so that's that's that that particular. uh, purport. So again, this is this, uh, yeah, this sacrifice for Swagaya, uh, uh, the Lord who is glorified in heaven. This he's explaining why you can say for Swagaya, meaning uh, for, for for Krishna and for the devotees, Lokaya who are in touch with the Lord, that, uh, that Prabhupada uh, uses. So then the next verse, I don't think we have time for it now. Uh, let's see how... That's a very long purport. Uh, we'll we'll wait until next uh, next time to get on to the second verse. So then you can see what this is going to happen with with five. Uh, it begins ikada one one day. <laughs> let me say once upon a time, on a certain day, the sages did this. So they're going to a specific morning now. What happened? Uh, with uh, 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 after they finish their other sacrificial activities, Hutagni, and then invited Sutta to sit and uh, inquire from him, ask him of all the people there, would you talk to us? Okay, we'll see. That's text five. They elevate Sri Sutta Goswami to the seat of honor. Just as we're waiting for some questions to come in, it, it occurred to me 
reading Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur's commentary on this verse, that even though the sages at Naimashranya were very elevated souls, Sutta Goswami still had to create his audience by giving them giving them a little taste of bhakti. Yeah, that's true. Kind of change. Yeah. Kind of interesting because you always say that Prabhupada had to create the audience for the Bhagavatam to take place yeah. and Sutta Goswami. And way he, did the same thing before Bhagavatam. Yeah, he had to elevate them from the karma con those that were, you know, interested in, yeah, that's right. He did it. Good point. Vijay Krishna Prabhu asks, he says, related to 114, where I find the synonym satram, sacrifice, in Bhagavad Gita as it is in 316, Krishna chants to Arjuna, my dear Arjuna, one who does not follow in human life the cycle of sacrifice thus established by the Vedas certainly leads a life full of sin. Living only for the satisfaction of the senses, such a person lives in vain. My question is, why is it that human life, based only in the satisfaction of the senses and devoid of the execution of sacrifice, becomes sinful and meaningless? Because you're just like an animal. We have animal bodies. You're in this world in order to gratify the senses. Uh, and uh, you're in the material world. It means you're not in eternal life. And, uh, but in, in human life, uh, even though we have all the animal propensities, what four things you do? Eat, sleep, mate, and defend yourself, right? And that's the inventory of everything. Just because we've got this fancy civilization where, you know, you can read the food pages in the New York Times and all the cooking things and all the restaurants and all the ways of doing. And, and for sleeping, you got mattresses and so many other things for, you know, having a place, safe place to sleep, actually. You have to have something. So the sleeping, eating, uh, sleeping, mating, oh, so many arrangements for mating, you know, well, fashions, everything, you know, from miniskirts to bustles and all these things. And, and then defending yourself, which is our big specialty with uh, either you got, you, got, you got your fingernails or your fists or you got, you know, nuclear missiles. But so you got all the civilization, but if your only business is to eat, to sleep, mate, and defend, it's simply, Prabhupada calls it polished animal life. But there's something more because you, 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 many, many people think, what was that all about? At the old age, time is going, what happened? What was that about? You have a feeling that I was supposed to be doing something important. What was it? What was it for? Why do you want to know what's it for? Apparently the dogs and the cats, they don't ask what is it for. They just do it, and then it's over. But a human is something more. And that's, that's because human life is meant for self-realization and not sense gratification. Prabhupada's, how much sense gratification you have? Enough to be healthy. So you can't live without some sense gratification. But the purpose is higher. 
So that, that, that's, that's, that's why we have this human form of life. That's why it's different. You're just not satisfied. Shri Vishnu Prabhu asks, if devotional service incurs no karma, what does it incur exactly, if anything? It incurs the happiness of Krishna. <laughs> and by devotional service, uh, you become purified. And, and that means performing devotional service correctly, you should see that lust and greed and anger are the things of the modes of passion and ignorance. They decrease. If they're not decreasing, you're doing something wrong. There's a way to do it. So the idea is, as Prabhupada said, I took hippies and made them into happies. Uh, and he thought of hippies as people that basically in the mode of ignorance, intoxication and not bathing and all that stuff, you know. Uh, our standard of advancement in America or in the developed countries is the mode of passion. But the result of the mode of passion, very clearly stated in the Bhagavad Gita, is misery. That's what happens by just the mode of passion, which is what everybody encourages, is the result is misery. Your hankerings and desires increase without limit. You can't be satisfied. You therefore get miserable. And generally, most people go to intoxication or seek out oblivion, suicide, something, because they've done so much, they've gotten, still they're not satisfied. What's wrong? What's the missing point? Because the result of the mode of goodness is at least happiness. Even if it's a material mode of goodness, you're happy. Because at least you've done good for other people and you've served other people and you've saved animals or, you know, whatever you've done. Those things are, you know, welfare work for others and helping others and living for others, you know. Uh, you know, the satisfaction of a good teacher just seeing students mature and grow and develop and become better people, that's the mode of goodness. They then go on and, of course, do things in the mode of passion, but that's another thing. Bhakti Impala asks, the four principles are principles of knowledge. Would you say the same goes for chanting? Are we able to understand, realize, preach the teachings if our chanting is not up to standard. Well, you can do the best you can. I mean, Prabhupada encouraged us to do it from the very beginning. Whatever, whatever you realize, tell people. Uh, but, but one should see by chanting. I mean, because, 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 because our practice of chanting Hare Krishna, uh, first of all, you don't need any equipment. I mean, beads are nice to have, but you can even chant, you know, using your finger divisions if you have to. You can just chant with what, what equipment you have. You only have to know three words for the Hare Krishna mantra. It's really simple. The sphere of activity is simply, there, there, there's you, there's Krishna, and there's your mind. And, and to show Krishna that you're interested you have to 
focus your attention on the holy name that you're chanting. Uh, you'll find out that your mind wants to go somewhere else. It's restless. It's, even in the Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna complains about it. You know, it's like trying to control the wind and the mind is difficult. And he gives all these objections. And in the yoga system, like any yoga, even Astanga yoga, you have to control the mind. The focus of the yoga system is the mind. And Krishna says it can be done by by proper direction and it by by uh, by attention uh, and some some self control, you do it. And the, for bhakti yoga, if we're if the the method of controlling the mind is to focus it on on the holy name of Krishna. Krishna helps. You get additional help that we that a that a yogi would not deserve. You know, just have to focus the attention on transcendence somewhere. But Krishna helps. He's sitting in the heart, and he wants us to succeed better than we do. So you also not only will you see that the modes of passion and ignorance will go down, but you'll also feel, experience directly the help of Krishna, and take it step by step. And so, you fix your mind on the holy name, you discover it's gone off this way because you got so many worries and so many problems and so many distractions. When it goes away, bring it back. It can be very hard to do that uh, sometimes. But you just keep trying, and you're showing Krishna that you're interested. That's showing that you're interested, and it will become easier. Uh, and and when, when I joined the movement, most people thought that japa in the morning that we did in the temple room was something you had to get over with so you could go out and do sankirtan. But it's actually the thing in itself. It's also makes it possible. And you should see very clearly that first of all the modes of passion, the modes of ignorance, you know how they're identified, laziness, sleepy, insanity. Your mind is crazy. You just say, okay, I'm not my mind. Mind has so many things. You remember when you took birth in this this life, you brought your mind with you from a previous life. You don't know what garbage is in there. And so, you know, you have to, you know, deal with it. It's, it's a stranger. You're not your mind. You're not only not your body, you're not your gross body, you're not your subtle body. You will see it change. And just by trying, you show Krishna you're interested and he'll help you and you'll be able to do things you think that you were not able to do before. You'll be able to give up things that you were addicted to, for example. Uh, and it's good to do that because then, you know, Krishna becomes more and more visible, Krishna consciousness. And you actually become happy. Happiness depends upon sattva, goodness, just even material happiness is sattva. 
what people hand out for you a happiness if you buy this, get this, th that's misery. It's, it's false advertising. But people are not making money out of the mode of passion, out of the mode of goodness. They're making it out of the mode of passion and ignorance also, by the way. The whole drug trade is to deal with <laughs> the deep of what happens when the mode of passion gets too much for you. You go to ignorance, to oblivion. Shivananda Sen Prabhu asks, this is Hare Krishna Prabhu. Thank you for the class. I have a question that I hope is not too off topic. In discussions about karma, sometimes the doubt is raised. What is the point in being punished for something I did in a past life that you don't remember doing? How would you answer this question? Uh, ignorance is no excuse, <laughs> I guess. It, is to say, uh, uh, yeah, it, it, it's true you may not remember it, but you can see the, the, the effects. You know, you'd, 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 you don't, don't remember uh, killing somebody, but the rage is there. Well, the guilt is there too. Sometimes you're born with feelings of guilt, and you don't know why. So you don't you don't have to know what you did, but just to see the after effects. Uh, you somebody in jail is in prison, and they can't remember what they did to get them there, but they still have to serve their sentence. You know. Uh, and so, and, it, and also there's a famous, of course, ignorance of the law is no excuse either. <laughs> you may not have known it was wrong. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're told in this life, you know, you sit down at a big barbecue with a, with a, a side of uh, beef on the spit, you know. That's, that's wonderful, you know. You don't think it's fine. Your mother gives you all these things to eat. A lot of times, little little children don't like the taste of meat, and so they disguise it so they'll eat it, so they'll be healthy. Because you may not know, but you've still done it. Akendra Prabhu comments, he says, seems like a major theme of the Bhagavatam is redirecting people from Karmakanda toward pure devotional service. The Indra Yajna in Vrindavan, the Naimisharanya sages, Vyasadeva's lamentation after composing the Vedas, the sacrificial Brahmanas in Vrindavan whose wives supplied lunch to Krishna and Balaram, etc. That's a good point. It's true. Those are good, those are good instances of that. And here also our, our bodies are black with smoke, you will see. They complain about that, what they were doing, not satisfying them. Vijay Krishna Prabhu asks, this is related to 114 where I find the synonym Lokaya and for the devotees who are always in touch with the Lord. My question is, what is the difference between the spiritual orders who practice in total seclusion and the spiritual orders who allow their practitioners to go out and preach? Is it really possible for a spiritualist to be always in touch with the Lord 
while preaching in an, in an environment where temptation could present itself as irresistible? Uh, Prabhupada resisted it. <laughs> there are many people that can resist it. It's, it's harder, but on the, on the other hand, uh, it's also possible to engage your senses more in, in human society. So there are the, in, in Christian tradition too, you know, there, there were monks who were solitary and didn't associate with anybody. But uh, if uh, better to, for engaging your senses that you have the association of devotees. And that's uh, very helpful to this way you, you, can, you can have a human association. You can sit down and even eat a meal together uh, and do these kind of even, I mean, bhakti can take even the most basic animal activities of life and do in such a way that they're pleasing to Krishna and therefore they don't cause bondage and attachment. So that's much easier. Otherwise you can go up into the ice caves of the Himalayas and, and be by yourself and that's, that's much, much more difficult to do. So that's, the, you know, Rishikesha, Rishikena Sevanam Bhakti Ruchate. Bhakti means engaging the senses in the service of the master of the senses. So our senses are the instruments of uh, karmindriya and ganindriya. Ganindriya, the instruments of knowledge by which the world comes into us, and karmindriya, why we act on the world. Uh, so these, uh, and the tongue is the essential because it's both. It's for, 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 uh, ganindriya for tasting, and karmindriya for speaking, the double duty. So that's why Prabhupada said the spiritual life begins with the tongue, because <laughs> it's both. We, we, we chant Hare Krishna and we eat and taste Krishna prasadam. says this is really a wonderful gift and Steve Reddy aka Sachi Sutafu <laughs> yeah. and I enjoyed it very much thank you I'm glad thank you Devadarana Devadasi says Hare Krishna and we have a few other Hare Krishnas Bhakti Impala says Hare Krishna Mandaleshwari uh, Devadasi says Hare Krishna and please don't have obeisances and Sunanda Puru says, Jai Hari Haladari. <laughs> Krishna. <laughs> Thank you. Glad to be of some service. Thank you very much. Srila Prabhupada ki jai, Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai. <laughs>